Bong Joon-ho put a fine point on that when he called the Oscars local. It's like, yes. <laughs> like, like that seems like a read, but it's also just true. True. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> if everybody just understood that, we could maybe move forward a little bit, you know? Yes. Last year, we had some questions about Thanksgiving. This year, we have questions about everything else. So we chose a theme that touches basically everything. American American exceptionalism. exceptionalism. The idea that the United States of America is the greatest country on earth. Or that we are exceptionally different from everyone else. Or that because we're Americans, we have to be the best. Honestly, we're already exhausted, but we bet you are too. So get excited. Join us as we explore some of the ways we ritualize exceptionalism in America. I'm Megan McCauley. I'm Megan Rose Green. I'm Christina Wu. I'm Dave McKeever. And I'm Mason Flink. This is episode two, the Academy Awards. Welcome to the third space. Hello, host panel. Hi. Hello. Hi. Very excited to kick things off with this first exploration of the ways in which we ritualize exceptionalism in America. When we first started discussing possible topics that each of us wanted to dive deep into this season, we were using this framework of pain points, you know, where each of us feel that twinge of exceptionalism in our own lives. And as someone who is only recently starting to understand how much of choosing to pursue a career as a screenwriter was about having an unassailable reason to never move back to Texas, (laughs) the pain point I wanted to examine was around cultural exceptionalism. This idea that American culture, which so often means straight, white, cisgender, rich, male American culture, hence the pain for anyone who doesn't fall into one of or more of those categories, is inherently exceptional. But as I started to think about this topic for an episode, I realized that our cultural exceptionalism isn't exactly a passive endeavor. When you look at post-World War II American history, our government actively exported music, film, and television as a way of proving the American, quote, democratic experiment was more valid than Soviet-style communism, even if American media was completely obscuring the reality of what life was actually like for women, Black people, Indigenous communities, people of color, immigrants, queer and trans Americans, the poor, the dispossessed, not to mention the near-constant environmental destruction. In order to reinforce the belief that American culture is inherently exceptional, we actually perform a whole bunch of cultural rituals that uphold our perceived supremacy. So... I gathered two of my former roommates, both working writers in Hollywood, along with working writer and co-host Christina, for a deep dive into what is known to many as a gay high holy day, the Oscars. (laughs) (laughs) Well, hello everyone. Welcome. Thank you so much for joining us today. I'm very excited about our conversation about the Oscars. So why don't we go around and introduce ourselves. We'll say our names, how you intersect with the entertainment business, and your favorite Oscar host of all time. I'm Kim Ndombe. Uh, I'm a TV writer. I've written on Raising Dion and The Fosters and Good Trouble and Sorry for Your Loss. And I guess my favorite Oscars host is Whoopi. Whoopi is the one I remember the most. I love Whoopi coming down from the ceiling in that Moulin Rouge moment. Yeah, I gotta go with her. <laughs> I'm Louis Fertel. I intersect violently with the <laughs> <laughs> I'm a comedy writer. I write for Jimmy Kimmel Live. I host a podcast called Keep It on 
Crooked Media, Billy on the Street, anything with, with, with an uh, angry gay person I've probably written for. <laughs> I'm an occasional Oscars red carpet host as well as an Oscars mm. self-proclaimed expert. My favorite, I was going to say Whoopi too, because Whoopi was always so game. Like she would be in a hundred yes. costumes during a hosting stint. Though if I'm going to be official, Jane Fonda actually co-hosted the Oscars twice before I was Ooh. born. She's like my patron saint just of anything entertainment related and humanity related. So I would say Jane Fonda. Hi everyone. It's Christina again. If Lewis intersects violently with the entertainment industry, I'd say I intersect pretentiously with it. <laughs> you know, went to film school at NYU, fully wanted to be like an indie auteur, and now I'm a TV writer. I've written on The Affair and Halston that just came out. So I don't know if I have a favorite Oscar host, but I remember as a kid like seeing Billy Crystal for a billion years. So like whether or not he's my favorite host, he's the one that I remember the most. And then Whoopi and then Chris Rock. Those are the memorable ones for me. Wonderful. I'm Mason. I intersect reluctantly with the entertainment industry <laughs> these days. You love it, please. <laughs> I am a TV writer and... I just wrote on special. My favorite Oscar host is also Whoopi. I have a really strong memory of her in that costume. The Ode to Pleasantville yep. is mm-hmm. just like seared into my brain. <laughs> I'm so glad she's getting so much love here. That's wonderful. <laughs> so yeah, why don't we kick off just talking about how people felt about the Oscars this year? I mean, you all lived through 2020. Kim and I lived through 2020 <laughs> together. <laughs> <laughs> Which I was thinking there should be like a different word for roommates who lived through the pandemic together. Because mm. it's like not the same mm-hmm. as the reg- yeah. regular roommates. Yeah. Um, it's so a special relationship. Is, Very intense. It is. <laughs> it is. But yeah, I would love to just hear how people felt about it. I would say I was sympathetic to the attempt to recreate the glamour of the Oscars during the pandemic, even though I do think it's impossible. I think you need a room full of people to make the Oscars what it is. There should be a sense that there's like a roaring, critical, jaded entertainment biz crowd and not just like 30 people who are all mostly the nominees, which is what we got this year. I even appreciated the attempt to make the room look different with like the the Union Station look and stuff. But honestly, to me, the number one thing that bothered me during the ceremony, other than the fact that most winners decided they were going to be the one to speak for seven minutes. <laughs> Is that the lighting changed because the windows are so huge at that place that like sometimes you couldn't see certain people because the light on them went away. Like Carrie Mulligan, when Best Actress come up, you, you couldn't see her. It was so surprising. And they really messed up by taking Best Picture away from the end. And they really defanged Rita Moreno's big moment to present it to. So I'm, I'm angry about that. The whole thing was supposed to be about people's love for movies. And they asked all these anecdotes from the nominees and the way that the presenters read them like you're just sort of going through list form and talking about like well this is this person's favorite movie because they watched it with their dad in theaters in 1970 and I'm like this has so little heart I feel no love for movies within (laughs) all of this I didn't know if they didn't hire writers if they hired fewer writers but the whole thing to me was just really lacking I also had such a hard time, I think, in the year of COVID, in the year where we've lifted up the hood of America and just seen that it's all like rubber bands and glue holding everything together, <laughs> that it was at Union Station and they had to kick all the homeless people out to like make that happen. I was just like, oh God, this, this, this is just, this is America. It was upsetting. This was actually the first time I didn't watch the Oscars, which wow. for those of you who know me, it's an important day. And... My parents were in town. I don't have a DVR right now. 
And it was like, oh, I just can't watch this. And then I started thinking about why I wasn't watching it. It was because like we didn't get to go to the movies all year. And even the, I mean, Kim and I watched a lot of the movies that we got, the screeners we got. And I would say the general consensus was like, ugh. A lot of meh. A lot of meh. It was like, there was like an award show to lift up our culture. And I was like, I just have a lot of notes on our culture right now. (laughs) It was hard. It was like a strange experience to like not share with everyone in a year where we were all so disconnected already. I definitely regret that I couldn't see a lot of these things in a theater because I think really there was an, an epic feel to a lot of the emotional cores of these movies. Like to not see Nomadland in a theater sucks. Yeah. Mm. Like e- even the father, which is like takes place in a couple of rooms, basically. There was something so massive about the pain of that movie that I would have mm. loved to experience that way. That said, though, I don't really agree with that. I think the movies were mostly pretty awesome this year. Like Sound of Metal, I don't really? have a movie I can compare that to. I didn't like things like Promising Young Woman, which got a lot of hype. I did not like that movie. Yeah. Oh. I, I mean, I. Fight. <laughs> <laughs> I'm rooting for her. I think she seems cool and also super funny, Emerald Fennell. And of course, I'm, th- that Carrie Mulligan finally has a second Oscar nomination, that sits well with me. <laughs> I definitely agree it's a, a ceremony that will probably be forgettable just because none of these movies had like a large just impact on the general audience. Like we didn't have the like whatever, Joker or Mad Max Fury Road or Titanic or whatever slips into the mix that entrances everybody. Mm. Yeah, I agree with Lewis. I feel like a lot of me watching the ceremony was actually feeling sad that probably the general population had seen none of these movies. Like, Mm -hmm. talk about being in a bubble. I feel like, you know, especially if you live in New York or LA and if you work in the industry, like, you get the screeners, you know what's being talked about. And on the one hand, it did feel like a... I don't even know if I want to call it a triumph, but, like, it was exciting to see movies like Minari and Nomadland and, like, Chloe Zhao get, like, nominated and recognized. But I'm like, but no one's watching and no one cares because no one's even heard of these movies if you, like, don't live on the coasts and if you don't Mm -hmm. care about seeking out movies. So in a weird way, I was just like, I guess everyone's patting themselves on the back for, like, look at all this diversity. But it's like, but no one's watching. (laughs) I'm like... Yeah, the ratings were the lowest. And I think that's been the trend, though. I think more and more the Oscars feels like it's for inside Hollywood. It's not really for the general public anymore. That, that's what I've gotten. At. When I talk to my friends about it outside of the industry, friends from college and friends from home, like I, I start to see that they're like, where are the movie stars? Like, what is all of this? So I felt it becoming less relevant. But I think the reason I thought a lot of the movies were met is like, I didn't cry at a single movie this year. I wasn't moved the way that I've been moved in the past. And I don't know if that's about me and the emotional state that I've been in in the pandemic, but it was so hard for me to like connect to a lot of these movies this year. And I haven't felt that about movies in the past. I would say I cried a bunch. (laughs) (laughs) Something that's interesting to me is the discussion of relevance, because if you look back at like, popular movies that ended up winning a lot of Oscars. Like, those are the ones I often have a lot of criticisms for in retrospect. Agreed. Rain Man is a Best Picture winner, and it's a three-star movie. (laughs) Sorry, it's like about a movie star and, Mm -hmm. like, another renowned actor. You know, and it's like, I'm not saying I don't want that to be recognized, and obviously it draws a lot of viewers in, but the fact is it's like a movie like... Moonlight, which is like a kind of minor indie hit or something, is way more important. 
Yes. It needs this ceremony. You know, like there's yeah. no other conduit where it's going to reach somebody in middle America in a huge way to me, I don't think. Yeah. So it's it's like a fight. Like I do want there to be like a relevance moment for the Oscars, but at the same time, I want them to stick to their guns and find out that what is appealing to everybody also doesn't matter, generally speaking, in terms of quality. I mean, I do think the people who watch the Oscars anyway, I would be shocked if we heard that like a large swath of people were watching it and they're like, I hate movies. I'm hate watching this. Like, <laughs> right. no, I think. Well, I no think one's the watching people... the Oscars anymore. I know. <laughs> but I think a part though that they were trying to recreate with the like anecdotes and the, the stories that were like leading up to introducing someone or just acquainting yourself with a nominee. That is the thing that got me to fall in love with the Oscars of the like, let's romanticize this because I think as a child, I automatically felt like romantic feelings about like mm. going to a theater and having an experience and remembering who you sat next to and like what the weather was like outside. I think it's sad, but also inevitable that it's seeming less and less relevant, but the like non-hardened, non-cynical side of me is like, but I just love movies, you know? Like, <laughs> how do we capture both? Well, that's a great segue, Christina. I would love to actually know what your first like memories of the Oscars or other award shows are. And did they play a role in your origin story and wanting to be in the film business? I remember the first time I watched the Oscars and thought, I want to be there. Uh, like, I remember, and this is such an odd movie to, I feel like to associate this with now, but like, I loved Million Dollar Baby when it came out. And when that, like, won big at the Oscars, and like, oh God, Clint Eastwood, I'm so, that man makes me so angry. It's so hard. <laughs> it's so, yeah, like, yeah. I'm so upset that like, this is, this is the memory. But I remember like, just be, I was very moved by that movie and I remember it winning and I went to live journal and was like, I'm going to be at the Oscars one day. Like, this is my dream. Wow. And so, yeah, that is there for eternity. I hope I deleted that. I should probably check. <laughs> I just remember having that feeling. There was something about that moment that I was like, I want to be there. I want to be a part of that. It's so, that was a year where there were a lot of movies that were, were in contention to win and we weren't sure what was going to win and to be rooting for something and to see it win and to be, I don't know, like you f I felt like I was a little bit a part of it when you're like rooting for the movie that you love. Just, yeah. it, it made me want to be there. I concur, generally speaking. There was one specific moment that got me at the Oscars when I was really little. I think I was six or something when I first watched the Oscars and Anna Paquin won for the piano and she's like 11 years old. And, she, and first of all, she was, I've, I've never seen a child dressed like this before. It was like a blue beret and like, yes. like a weird lacy thing that you would yes. like walk into the sea wearing or something. She was, she was like vaguely haunted. And, but like for like a little kid, or like a gay kid, like it's, particularly enticing because it's like oh that's kind of me like that's mm. like a child like infiltrating the adult so you can be like a prodigy in this space which like <laughs> when you when you've got like gay prodigy brain like a lot of things ignite that you know i remember when titanic won that was something where obviously everybody on earth went to go see it and then for some reason you really felt like that movie was like i was on that movie's team why like, what, what about titanic makes me feel represented is it is, is it another hat? Is it Kate Winslet's purple hat? I have no idea. The oh drama. The yeah, right. 
But I, I think what happens is, and from there I started like seeing a couple more movies a year that were in the prestige realm. And then once you see a whole bunch, it becomes a whole different experience watching the Oscars because you're really invested in whomever's up there, you know? I just remember the glamour of like staying up late and like watching this thing mm. that like goes on past 11. I grew up on the East Coast. So like, oh, it's like it's a school night and I'm staying up late and I'm, you know, I just need to see who wins the best picture. I feel like that was really enticing to me. Also, my my mom is a podiatrist and she always had like a whole bunch of magazines in her office. And so like life, you know, and also like W. So whenever Oscar season was happening, it was all like documented in all those magazines too. Mm. So it was, there was a lot of lead up and then there was a lot of excitement afterwards of like what everyone was wearing and like, who, like, you know, who was there with who and just seeing celebrity couples that like, <laughs> excited me for whatever reason at a young age. But I agree. Like Titanic was a huge thing it was very formative for me. I felt like, it, I don't even know if it lost in any category, but like when it felt like maybe it wasn't going to go that way, I felt like rage inside. And I have no <laughs> idea why. But then I remember like, as I continued to like, you know, love movies, watch movies, not seeing things like Rushmore or, you know, like, I don't know, like seeing the movies that you care about not be recognized, that like set me on my like NYU trajectory, right? Like instead of USC, it's like, no, I want to like go to New York Mm. and like make independent films. Also, Billy Crystal used to sing an Oscars song like to launch into the show, which I weirdly always looked forward to. So that was another thing that I really enjoyed. <laughs> Me too. I really do have an affection for some Billy Crystal moments. Like, yeah. just, he was exactly right for the gig. Yeah. yeah, exactly. I was a budding entertainment journalist in high school, <laughs> avid reader of Entertainment Weekly, and then I wrote the Oscar predictions columns twice <laughs> in high school. And I just want to say I went back and looked at it. I have it in the closet. In 2006, I very courageously predicted that Brokeback Mountain was going to win Best Picture. Oh, yeah. I got all the other ones right. Five out of six uh, for director and all the acting categories. But I was wrong about that one. You hadn't worked in Hollywood yet. (laughs) I feel like especially as a kid watching, did you guys feel this way? Like so many of the Best Picture nominees, I'm like, those are movies for adults that I am not allowed to see. Totally. (laughs) Like there are so many Mm -hmm. movies that I still haven't seen because I'm like, those are movies for adults. And I'm like, I'm not ready. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> I didn't really get to see R-rated movies until I was writing these Oscar columns. And then my mom mm. had to take me to the movies. In 10th grade, we split them up between me and my friend Marion. So Marion's mom took her to see Monster. And my mom took me to see <laughs> Mystic River. <laughs> she, oh, my God. Mystic River. <laughs> the movie ended and she was like, because my mom does not like to see movies about violence at all because of her job working in domestic violence. She was like, I can't believe you made me do this. I was like, no, the bagpipe, our school newspaper made us do this. It wasn't me. (laughs) And then I remember in my freshman year of college, the presenters for the best original screenplay category were Kirsten Dunst and Tobey Maguire, and they Mm. were reading from the script with the like... Mm like interior bathroom and I was like oh my god I want to be a screenwriter like I remember it so <laughs> clearly like Kirsten Dunst reading stage directions in a script I was like I'm in mm. yes Kirsten <laughs> when they present screenplay in a cool way on the Oscars I'm always like so into that because it's like 
you you can glamorize it, and I, they often pass right over that opportunity. I do remember another time when being really young, and they presented screenplay, and they showed you what it looked like, and it was it yeah. was one of the first times I'd ever actually seen the pages. And I was like, oh, like someone just writes that up, and it, it's planting that seed. It's true. I guess the Oscar is is just like indoctrinating the next generation of of <laughs> yes. filmmakers. I mean, it is. None of us are from Los Angeles. Mm -mm. Like, how else do you really... And, you know, there's so much opacity about how movies and television got made. I think less so now because all the writers are on Twitter all the time. But, like, when we were growing up, that wasn't as available. So it was sort of like a mystery how movies got made and the Oscars took painstaking efforts to like explain all of these like old Hollywood skills. I think them lifting the veil and then also... Just seeing the wish fulfillment of people's acceptance speeches, especially, I love seeing the speeches by the non-famous people because they're not as rehearsed, like they're more raw, but so much of it is like, I believed in myself and other people believed in myself and you can believe in yourself too. (laughs) And you're just sitting there crying in your room, like, I can do it, you know, like, I feel like that was such a sweeping romantic feeling that really, I mean, I loved everything about that i that's why i like watching the voice just like seeing people achieve their Hmm. dreams and just crying (laughs) there are certain speeches where like every time i go back to them it does fill me with this rush of like i don't know if they were surprised if they're obviously brilliant actors but like if you watch marion cotillard's oscar speech Hmm. you will like you have to hold on to something like she's (laughs) she is she is lost in the poem of winning and, (laughs) and says things like like i mean the words thank you life thank you love flow out of her i mean it's truly i mean like to invoke a a gay cliche, it's like a very poppers moment for her. She's very (laughs) on cloud nine and like barely comes down, which is what the Oscars are all about, right? You want to be like, you know, this super ego inflation in a mostly okay way. There was a time where an actual Oscar ended up in our house when Lewis and I lived together. My my best girlfriend won the Academy Award for Best Original Screenplay for writing (gasps) uh, Juno, if you know uh, Diablo Oh Oh my God. That's amazing. Incredible. She's she's from my hometown. That's actually an interesting Oscars moment for me because I I didn't really know her then. She was eight years older than I was. Hmm. Her mom would come into the grocery store where I worked and one time she said, Oh, uh, what do you do? I was like, uh, I go to college. I go to the University of Iowa. She goes, oh, my daughter went there too. She's a screenwriter now. And I said at the time, I was like, what the fuck is she screenwriting? I was like, <laughs> I was like, like I'll be the judge of that. <laughs> a year later, she had an Oscar. One year later. Wow. So, um, but anyway, she's the fucking best. And occasionally, if I need an Oscar for like a video project, she will let me use it. So I've gotten to actually hold one, which I don't, like for Mason, it was like, I was living with Mason when I, this, like I got to hold it and it wasn't transformative for me really, but Mason an endorphin sprang in him that wow. like some, it was Pandora's box. It was I really will, well, I, I actually think that cause I sat and held the Oscar for like three and a half hours on the couch while I was watching TV. <laughs> a psycho, a psycho. Yeah. It became a part of I you. I actually think it broke the spell. Like mm. holding someone else's Oscar and being like, what does this feel like? How heavy is it? It was like taking all of the mystique mm. out of it because it was just a prop for <laughs> Palm Springs. So it was like a, just a different relationship to this statue that has been imbued with mm. so much like cultural significance. And then to just be like smoking a bowl and holding it while I was watching Are You the One season six, come <laughs> one, come all. <laughs> just dumb reality TV. Any comeback fans here? Oh, yes. please, please. Because I, yes. I always 
always think about the scene where she goes to see Jane. She's trying to get Jane back on the team. And Jane has her Oscar for documentary short, best documentary short. And my, <laughs> th- she is just all over it. And Jane is like, it means nothing. It means nothing. Yeah. It sticks in my mind a lot. I think it's just because I'm, I've, I, that's where I'm at now. I'm like, it means nothing. Or it means as much as you want it to mean. But at the end of the day, right. I think, Christina, you were talking before. It's like the Oscars, and I think we all have said this, like they don't recognize so many people, so many talented people, the most yeah. marginalized people among us. It's like, I can't sit here and say like, this is actually about the best art that there is in filmmaking. Because I'm just like, it's not. Right. It's not really true. So like, I can't give it that power. Because I also think for someone like me, it's like, what are the chances that I would ever be able to like get that? It's like, just statistically, it's so hard because of what this industry does to like people like us. I'm a black queer woman. It's like the likelihood of the stuff I'm making, like being on that stage is just, it's slim to none, but it's like, so I can't give it that power and say like, I'm working towards that. It's like, I'm working towards making great work. Well, that's why I feel really protective over the people who I think should have won and they did like when Sophia Coppola won I was like oh I've never seen a woman on this stage Mm -hmm. before like accept this kind of award or like when the actress from Minari or like Chloe Zhao is accepting all of her awards for Nomadland like I can't help but feel hopeful again but also Mm -hmm. like this is like way too fucking late so I also have held an Oscar and it had like the opposite effect on me because I in college I interned at Martin Scorsese's production company and this was like over this was like during the time when they won the Oscar for The Departed and our like little intern desk was right outside of Thelma Schoenmacher's office so she let all the interns hold the Oscar and took pictures of us holding the Oscar and then gave us those pictures (laughs) and I had heard from a friend that holding an Oscar that you didn't win is bad luck so the whole time I was like am I jinxing myself (laughs) everything that I'm working for but I was in college so like I don't know I was an idiot but like to feel the weight of it to like be in the presence of people who had just won one like it was just so crazy it's like that's a whole other thing of like when people deserve it and then when people win are different things sometimes Mm -hmm. so like to be in the same office space as someone who we all were like but he should have won for raging bull like i don't know it was just like a really weird out-of-body experience that i think just like fed the dream (laughs) Lewis, what was it like for you? We were living together when I think you were on the red carpet for the first time. Mm -hmm. What was (gasps) your experience as an arc, you know, as a kid who loved the Oscars to like actually be there and like in the mix and all of that? And also, what did you wear? I just want to hear like everything about this. (laughs) Oh, well, funny enough, at that time, I was dating a super nice guy and his best friend worked for Ferragamo. And And he goes, you should, you should you should talk to this guy. He'll like hook you up. And I, I wasn't optimistic. And I went and he gave me a rad fucking suit with awesome shoes. And I, it was just like Cinderella. It made no sense that that worked out for me <laughs> because nobody was setting that. I had like a wardrobe budget, but it was the kind of thing where I could go to like Nordstrom and maybe f- work something out, you know? Mm-hmm. But when I moved to LA and still some of the time I, I was an entertainment reporter. So I kind of always figured I would end up at or near the Oscars, but to be hosting something in an on-camera way where I'm meeting the talent for the first time was at at first intimidating, and then I was like, who the hell else should do this? Like, it'd be weird. (laughs) Like, I'm not like a B-minus at this. Like, I know all these people. So um, it it was both 
exciting and also like thank god if i had died and like I didn't get to do something like this. Like for me, that would have been a little bit of a failure. Yeah, like it's just on my mind too much. Yeah. I've worked in the business for 11 years and over that time has been the advent of streaming television and movies and this like vertical integration. And I think the types of movies that are made in America have changed over the last 11 years. And that when we were coming into the business, there was still the indies from the 90s spilling into the early 2000s. And there was Eternal Sunshine and all these movies that were hitting that were indies that also like had that crossover. And then there was a moment for me in the mid 2010s where I was like, wait, all of my favorite movies aren't made here. I don't understand how there's only one category for them. There's a whole global film industry that is so hard to access when we were growing up because you would get like one movie from that country a year at your indie film house. And now they're all available streaming in a different way. So it's like as much as like streaming impacted the kind of movies that we were making in America and all these Marvel movies being sort of the whole box office, there was also an infiltration and sort of like we were importing content and it was more accessible and sort of changed the way that I was viewing, you know, the ritual of the Oscars itself. Well, it's hilarious that no one realizes that terms like foreign or international films it's like those words are relative yes because yes. you can use that in any country you're in but because we're in america that automatically means you know usually like non-white non-english speaking films and those are the imports and it's like we don't have time for me to go into like west and east as a construct <laughs> but like whatever yes. you know <laughs> there's something about the way the Oscars presents foreign films, international films, that I do think is a little harmful, which is to say it sort of validates the idea that these movies should take up about 120th of your brain mm -hmm. compared to whatever mm -hmm. else is going on. And it sort of makes all foreign films seem like incomprehensible or something mm -hmm. like, okay, we'll give like a breath of a moment to that, whatever that was. And now back to... Hillary Swank or whatever uh, movie is happening that year, <laughs> you know, like there is something about the presentation of those movies that makes them seem one less important and two like unknowable. Yes. Mm -hmm. And just the like watching people like stumble over names. It's like, right. Yeah. Uh -huh. Uh -huh. This is painful. We've danced a lot around this topic, but I, you know, like we're exploring American exceptionalism and the way that we ritualize it in our culture in this season of American Ritual. And I'm wondering how you feel in what ways that American culture is exceptional. What does that mean to you? Crickets. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> It's a, it's a large question. Pardon me as I... Uh, yeah. uh, <laughs> how many problems would you like me to solve right now? Okay. I will say, I mean, like, if, if you want to take it all the way back to the Oscars, there does seem to be a, I don't know about perpetual self-celebrating machine going on, <laughs> but I feel like there's something about America where we could just make it all about us all the time if we wanted to, and really there's not going to be enough voices on the sidelines to make us change it. Or like, th they can't really rise... Th that high so we can be a click that's I feel like a very American thing it's hard to like dig yourself out and like see clearly from the question like I don't know where you guys all grew up but like I was born here and like you know the older you get the more you learn the more you can like see outside of like what your little like periscope view is but like as much as we want to criticize America and like not want to be that person who's like, USA, USA, because that's gross. 
<laughs> it's also hard to like break out of that cycle of like, but like we did kind of invent a lot of cool things. So like, why not be the best? You know, like it's a hard <laughs> thing to like separate yourself from. Yeah, I don't know. I've never, I've, I'm like the least patriotic person. I think because I don't have a lot of family here. I don't have a lot of pride in being here. I'm very grateful to have been born here, but it's also like birth in general is just a lottery. And like, I feel really grateful that I'm like, oh, I'm here and there's so much that I can do. And yes, I'm oppressed in a lot of ways, but I still have like a lot of opportunity. I guess when it comes to like American exceptionalism, I'm just like, yeah, we're good. I am impressed at our ability to constantly dig in and think like we are right and our way is right. Like, I'm just like, this is shocking to me to see so many other options in the world and like ways you could live and to even just just take a little adopt a little but that like so often america's like no no like we've got it we understand it and i'm like that kind of stubbornness i guess is impressive i guess that's exceptional (laughs) i don't know like i it's hard to find things right now that i feel america does exceptionally well i mean it makes really marvel is exceptional i don't like as much as I am not in love with like a lot of what they do. Like that is that they can produce like that much product and put it out there. I mean, that is exceptional. It's just like, I don't like it. So it's it's hard for mm-hmm. me to, to claim that as exceptional. Yeah, I relate to it purely from an economic standpoint. It's incredible that so much money is made off of someone sitting down and writing, inventing something on a, in a final draft file. And... As much as there is a struggle to like get the mouthpiece, working on special was something like so many people had to be tricked for that to get made. And Hmm. now a show about a gay guy with cerebral palsy can be seen globally. And that is something that feels American. If you can intersect with capitalism enough and just like hang in Hmm. there, sometimes you get to use the mechanism to your advantage. I've been a part Hmm. of those moments of tricksterdom. Ryan was able to do it. And my experience watching that show is like, I can't believe there's so many disabled people on television. The power of the image to convince people that like other people exist that don't look like you or don't worship like you or that don't speak like you like it is such a powerful propaganda machine but it can be used in ways that are about reducing harm and that's the justification i feel like i have to make for myself in continuing to work in this business because you can it does happen like you do like get to sneak in there it's just like how much can you put up with alongside be the exceptions to the rule. Yeah, I'm too jaded, but you are you are <laughs> right. But because it's just reminding me of like leaving the theater when I saw Black Panther or even uh, Into the Spider-Verse, like leaving those theaters and seeing like the kids like and how excited they were. And I'm like, okay, like I have to remember like that this, I loved and I enjoy those movies. I just wish they weren't just cannibalizing the entire industry, but it's like, you're <laughs> right, it means something. and. Yeah, I remember just like seeing little kids like so excited with their with their parents and I'm like, "Oh, I wish I wish I had had that. Maybe like, yeah, things would be different if I had had that when I was young." Well, I guess I'll wrap us up with one more question. I want to end on some positive future forward-looking vibes. So, oh, thank you so much. <laughs> I'm wondering what value you think American art has and where we can go from here. 
knowing what we all know and have been talking about. Well, I do feel like America makes the most high-profile progressive art, which is to say, like, there can be messaging in art that's, like, in fitting with, like, what a, a pro-gay is what's coming to mind, but, like, any, any number of, like, let's not treat X people like shit. And I'm happy about that. But, yeah, I think that's it. I think that's about it. That, that's it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I would agree. I mean as cynical as we can be about the like vertical integration of it all movies and tv particularly american movies and tv i think it is sort of like the last frontier of like us being able to change hearts and minds through mass media and i don't think that's a bad thing but would love it if it didn't capitalize nearly so much on everyone's pain (laughs) and trauma i think something that is uniquely american is we're like one of the least homogenous countries on the planet. And as these other countries start to get this influx of immigration and they're dealing with issues, it's like we've been there and we've been dealing with that. And if we can show art that reflects like this is what it is like to live in a place where people are very different. This is how we clash. This is how we come together. This is how we collaborate. This is how we fight. Like I think it's an interesting message that we could put out to the world. Yeah, I feel similarly. There's a lot of bills being passed in Texas right now that are incredibly upsetting, not the least of which is this bill about changing the way that they teach Texas history. And I had to take two years of Texas history, and it took me a couple years being out of high school to be able to understand or grasp like, oh, wow, Texans were settler colonialists. Like, they wanted independence because they wanted to have slaves. Like, that's not how it was framed. So when I hear they're having the same argument, I'm like, fuck, like, well, you know where Texas, like, doesn't have a reach? And it's in Hollywood. And it does feel like as much as the left can make moves in running these progressive candidates on the local level and it's also using the soft power of this messaging machine and i'm at least trying to recognize the responsibility that like i have as an artist working within this system to not cause more harm but it is a daily struggle because the people who work in this business are an intersection of America. So many people come here to Los Angeles with the same dream. And so there's every fight that that like I had when I grew up in a conservative place, like I'm still having them. Mm-hmm. And they're like, but we're all Democrats. And like, I'm so confused. <laughs> I feel like I'm being gaslit. But that's how I'm trying to hold on to the project of America, the sort of like, how do we take that energy of like making a just and equal society within our commercial art? And I don't know that we'll ever achieve it, but I don't know that America's going to ever achieve it either. So <laughs> might as well try. Or maybe in the in the far future, we we will be referred back to people in their own acceptance speeches of like, this person walked so that I could run. <laughs> oh, I love those kind of speeches. <laughs> well, thank you all so much for joining us in this conversation today. I really appreciate your time. And, and I'll thank you all once I win that Oscar, which is what it's all about. <laughs> oh my God, I'm so excited for yeah, you. So I'm too. so, I'll be very excited to see who you're wearing. Oh, yeah. <laughs> Ferragamo, of course. Yes. (laughs) Join us next time for episode three, where we'll be chatting about the ways we ritualize exceptionalism in education. Bye. American Ritual is a production of Third Space. For show notes and to learn more about our work, visit our website at thirdspacecollective.org. 
The show is collaboratively created, written, and produced by your hosts, Christina Wu, Megan Rose Green, Megan McCauley, Dave McKeever, and Mason Flink. Dave McKeever is our editor and sound designer. Our theme music is by Mason Flink and Dave McKeever. Special thanks to Monica Miklas for creating our show art. If you like our show, please subscribe, rate, and review us on Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, or wherever you listen to podcasts. Join us in the third space for the next episode of American Ritual. Thanks for listening. New episodes weekly starting September 15th. See you in the third space.